0: The word of the Lord from John chapter 9. This is verses 1 through 7, 13 through 17, and 34 through 39. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's time for the Feast of Tabernacles in our Gospel reading. It's one of the big three feasts of the year. The other two are Passover, which we'll get to in about three weeks at Easter time, and Pentecost, which we'll get to 50 days after that. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, is a time for the Jews to remember God's kindness to them, especially during their years between Egypt and the Promised Land. As part of the feast, they construct booths or tents out of branches for the week, remembering that their ancestors lived in tents for 40 years while God led them through the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was not a pleasant place to be, nor were the people especially obedient to the Lord. But the Lord took care of them all the same. He provided food when they were hungry and water when they were thirsty, Not to mention clothes and shoes that did not wear out for all those 40 years. At the time of Christ's public ministry, once a year, as commanded by God, the Jews gather in Jerusalem and build their tents from branches to remember how the Lord took care of them in the wilderness. They don't just look back, though, they look forward as they remember God's promises for the future. They hold on to his promises that he will send the Messiah. We talked about one of those promises last week from Ezekiel 47, where Ezekiel had a vision of a river flowing from the temple, a river that brought life even where there was only arid death. That vision declared that the Christ would come. So, as part of the Feast of Tabernacles, they remembered this promise in a ceremony. Remembering a dream where water flowed from the temple, they would draw water from a pool and carry it to the temple. And that pool from which they drew the water for this ceremony was the pool of Siloam, which means sent, as they waited for God to send the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is there in the gospel reading, of course, and he is more than the Messiah they are expecting. He's not just a man sent by God. He is the Son of God sent by his Father, now born of the Virgin Mary and in the flesh. As John reminds us at the start of his gospel account, Jesus was present when God created the heavens and the earth. The Father spoke as a Spirit hovered over the waters, and through the Son all things were made. Jesus was present when God first formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life so that man became a living soul. And now, to save man, the Son of God is made man, and he is there at the Feast of Tabernacles. As he is passing by during the feast, he sees a man blind from birth. His disciples asked that strange ish question Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that always strikes me as a funny question because it always gets me thinking what sort of mischief a baby's up to in the womb that he would deserve to be born blind? But more than a funny question, it's a wrong question. Sometimes we suffer afflictions because we bring them upon ourselves by our actions. And sometimes we suffer afflictions because we are sinners who are falling apart in a creation that is falling apart. We are conceived and born in sin, says Psalm 51. The disciples ask a bad question because they assume that this man or his parents must be especially sinful for him to be born blind. Not so, says Jesus. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What are the works of God? Well, in the beginning he created all things. Now in the flesh he is restoring creation by defeating sin. Jesus is at work to undo the curse of sin by defeating it in his own death and resurrection. Jesus goes on to say, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus drops a little bomb here at the Feast of the Tabernacles. He says that he is sent. He's hinting that he is the Messiah sent by God which means he's the one they've been waiting for as they draw water from Siloam and take it to the temple. He also says that he is the light of the world. And when there is light, people can see. So in other words, he comes to give sight. So what would make perfect sense for the Messiah, the light of the world, to do for a man born blind? We hear, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now it does sound a little unusual for the Christ to be healing people by making mud with saliva and putting it on the man's eyes. Remember, though, in the beginning, the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground. No doubt moistened dust, or else it wouldn't hold together. And now the incarnate Lord is going about his work restoring creation. So, to remove the curse of sin from this man's created eyes, the Son, through whom all things were created, adds some more moistened dust to the man's eyes. And then he sends him to Siloam. The one sent by God sends the man to the pool called Sent. And it's when he is washed by water that he can see. He can see. He can't see Jesus at the moment because he's at the pool and Jesus is somewhere else. But nevertheless, Jesus has restored the man's eyes by renewing that part of creation and having him washed with water. The Pharisees are not amused at this miracle. For one, they oppose Jesus in principle, and it's much harder to convince people not to follow him when he's healing them. For another, Jesus performs this miracle on the Sabbath, and he's done the work of mixing spit and dirt together to do it. Now, the rabbis hold that God works on the Sabbath because babies are born and people die on the seventh day, but people are not supposed to work on the Sabbath, not even mixing dirt and spit. So who does this Jesus think he is? God? Rather than haul in Jesus for interrogation, which never goes well for them, they bring in the man who was born blind so that he can confirm their assertion that Jesus is an unholy sinner. The man is happy to speak, to respond and defend Jesus, which makes him an apostle, a sent one, who tells what Jesus has done. The man more or less tells the Pharisees to do the math. Jesus has healed him of lifelong blindness, which is a sort of miracle that God does. At the very least, that makes Jesus a prophet of God. But rather than do the math, the Pharisees cast the man out. He's now excommunicated. He's no longer welcome in the synagogue. As it turns out, that's no big loss for him, Because Jesus finds him again. Rather than the synagogue of the Pharisees, the man is now at the temple, for God in the flesh stands present with him. Not only do his eyes now work, but by faith he sees that Jesus is a Savior. Meanwhile, the Pharisees, whose eyes have been functioning all along, have no faith and cannot see Jesus to be the Christ. Rejecting him, they remain guilty of their sin because they reject the forgiveness that would make them a new creation. Treasure this story. Treasure this miracle. For Jesus has come to be the Christ who saves you, too. Beware the unanswerable questions. When you suffer this trial or that affliction... Your old Adam will move you to demand, What did I do to deserve this? As I said before, sometimes there is a direct cause and effect, and sometimes there is not. For instance, if you decide to defy traffic laws and run red lights on a regular basis, it will be pretty easy to explain why you are in an accident. On the other hand, if you obey traffic laws and suffer a collision because someone else runs the red it's a lot harder to answer, why me? Furthermore, even if you're at fault, your old Adam doesn't want to give up. It will say, lots of people run red lights all the time. So what did I do to be the one who got in an accident? See, whatever the investigators might determine, you'll always want to justify yourself. Whatever your sin, you will always want to prove that you are not the one at fault in any situation. If you do that, your guilt remains. And just past the midpoint of Lent, I remind you to remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. It is far better simply to say what is true. There's something wrong with you. You're a sinner who lives in a sinful world. Sometimes you do sinful things. Sometimes you suffer from the sins of others. Either way, you're returning to dust. So time spent on self justification is just plain wasted time. I mean, imagine if the man born blind in our text says to Jesus, I am going to decline being healed because that would be an admission that I cannot see. And I resent the implication that I am blind, even if it's obvious and true. I would rather remain blind than admit that I have a problem and accept your help to see. That would not be wise. But that's what your old sinful nature wants to do. Jesus I am going to decline being forgiven because that would be an admission that either I have done something sinful or at the very least there is something wrong with me and I resent the implication even though it's perfectly obvious to everybody. That too would not be wise. It would be utter folly. Why would you die? So treasure this miracle The same Jesus who recreated this man's eyes to see is the Jesus who makes you a new creation. He has recreated you already by water and his word and holy baptism, and by his word he has breathed life into you. Once you were blind, but now you see by faith that he is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose again. Once you were dead, but because he died and rose for you, now you are alive. And while you have yet to lay your eyes on Jesus, he is not far away. He gathers you to his altar to feed you his body and blood, to sustain you in the faith until he raises you up in glory. The Father sent his Son to save you. Now you are enlivened, a new creation, and full of sight. And you are sent simply to say what he has done that others might hear of his grace. You speak because you've been spoken to. Let there be life. You see because he has enlightened you. But always this is the greater joy Jesus works his works in you. Your end is not a return to the dust, but life and light and sight forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.